As a business and leadership mentor, wife, and mom, I know that building a legacy business as a high-performing female entrepreneur can be overwhelming when you play many demanding roles in your life. But you know what? It doesn't have to be that way. You can be a powerful, high performer in your career, plus enjoy a fulfilling marriage and be a great mom all at the same time. Join me and my guests every week to get the inside scoop on what it really looks like to build a high growth business while living a life truly aligned with your family and personal values. Shamika is in the house. What's up? What's up, Megan? (laughs) I'm so glad you're here. I can't believe I haven't had you on the show yet. When I asked you, I was like, a couple of weeks ago, we were chatting and I was like, I have got to have you on the show. Come on the show. And then I was like, why am I just now asking Shamika to be on the show? Like almost two years in. So welcome. I'm glad to be here. Okay. I have to tell you the the truth. The truth is this. I've been seeing all your people on your episodes. I'm like, Megan's never asked me to to be on her show, but I'm like, okay. I mean, like we're cool and maybe it's just not for me. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's so funny. Okay. So I will, I will share this because I haven't really done, I haven't like rebranded my podcast. I've had it almost, it'll be two years in October. I haven't rebranded it, but in that span of time, I mean, you know, this for sure. I've like very much shifted what I do in my business. And I'm pretty much gone through like this business reinvention. I would also say like kind of a personal reinvention as well. And my original idea for the show was about marriage, motherhood, and business. And I was like talking to people who were kind of like, I knew what my angle was when I first started it, but then I started having people on I me. Mean, this is really the truth. And I was having people on and I was like, wait a minute, I'm not even talking about those three things in every single one of my episodes. Like we're just talking about what they're doing in their business and then whatever, like that was my whole goal. But then it kind of shifted about a year in and I was like, wait a minute. I want to take this in another direction. So I really need to change like the graphic and the intro. Like I kind of need to update everything, but you're here now. I'm here now. That's all that matters. You got it right. No, just kidding. Yes, (laughs) I got it right. I know. I know. I love it. Well, I also have found too, and maybe you have found this as well. I love having people on the show who I have a personal relationship with, who I've known for a while because the conversation is very different. Versus, you know, you get pitched all the time for people to be on your show. And I think I've said no enough times now that I don't get pitched anymore. But, you know, the first year I was also interviewing a lot of people who I didn't know until Mm -hmm. I met them on my show. And it was just, it was too stiff. It was way too stiff because we didn't have any of the good, juicy stories about one another to dive into. There was no context. And so then you are just really talking about, you know, five tips to give people in your, you know, but this is more fun. Yeah. 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 So let's, let's go deep. Let's give them some real juicy stuff. Let's do it. So like I was sharing with you when I invited you on the show and so all the listeners know I, and this is again, something I've been thinking about for quite some time. I wanted to have people come on the show who are running education and coaching based businesses who have been in this game for a while and have seen the industry change and transform your business and you have changed and transformed. And I want to talk about client success. I want to talk about the emphasis that you put on delivery and fulfillment and community inside of your ecosystem. 
And I say this to everybody who I meet in this category, and I've said this to you before, I think you do this. I think you're one of the best at running your programs and creating a true culture. You are so client-centric and you do an incredible job of facilitating community, peer-to-peer support, um, all those things, which from my perspective, that is the lifeblood of education and coaching programs. And it's what keeps people around for a longer time. It's what develops loyalty. It's what develops raving fans. It's what develops um, the ability for you to basically have an invisible marketing machine, which are your happy clients talking about your great work and bringing other people in. And the truth is there's not a lot of people in our space who do this really well. And you're one of those people. So I'd love to kick, let's kick it off this way, Shamika, because some listeners won't know who you are and you have been in this game for a long time and you've seen it change a lot. Plus you've changed a lot and your business has changed a lot. So kind of give us like the backstory, walk us through, you know, what is the last decade plus looks like for you in this industry, kind of catch us up to speed. And then we'll dive into some of this nitty gritty stuff. Yeah. So like you said, it's been well over a decade for me. And in the beginning, I think the client centric part was a necessity because I didn't have a lot of clients. And I think my thought process was if I can focus on the clients that I have, then I'll create something where people want to be a part of it. And, and my clients did eventually just become my sales force, right? They are the ones who continually bring people. In the beginning, I was trying to figure everything out. And me figuring everything out was like looking at what everybody else was doing and actually happening in the background of somebody's business just because of what it looks like on the forefront. So I got to a space where I wanted to do things my own way, that I knew that I was serving a certain type of client who had a certain type of need. Um, Like we're really big on celebrations in my communities. My clients have a need to be seen in their full power um, because they can't go into a lot of spaces and be completely themselves without feeling like they're going to overpower the leader or overpower the community. They're like, I don't want to take over. They have all these thoughts, right? And so I wanted to create a space where power could recognize power, power could celebrate power, um, power and power doesn't always roar. It's not always big. And so also allowing people to be both powerful and figuring it out at the same time, like permission to be in that duality of how they grow. And that had to start with me. That had to start with how I saw myself. And so we foster this community where we all recognize that we can be on any um, any space in the power spectrum at any given time, but it doesn't dilute how I see you, nor you being powerful doesn't take away from my own power. So we all just get to be power players, as I call them, mm-hmm. inside of communities. So I mean, if we roll back to circa 2010, 2011, that was me trying to figure stuff out. Around 2016, I started to figure things out and starting to figure things out was me really focusing on allowing myself to be myself and to create a community that I would want. If if I were going to invest somewhere, what would I need? What would I desire to have? What would that support look like? Who would I want to have in community around me? And even though those things felt uncomfortable, like we have this, we, we do pom-poms in my community. Yes. And it was very awkward for me to bring that in because I thought I'd be judged. Like, no one's going to take you serious as a business owner if you're celebrating people with pom-poms, right? 
And so I started doing that probably around 2017. I brought the pom-poms in for the celebrations because I recognize that as a high achiever, we usually are like, thank you next for every goal that we achieve, right? Mm. We achieve a big goal and it's not the biggest goal. And so we're like, okay, great. Check that off next. And we never really sit in the celebration and let it wash over us of what we've accomplished, all that we've accomplished in our lives. And in order for us to create more and not feel like we're in a deficit all the time, celebration is a huge part of it. So I think a lot of what I do to foster community has been because I'm like, what do I need? What do I see that has been a pitfall for me that if we create a community that has that as a, a pillar, as a foundational piece, will allow other people to see the same type of success that I've seen as I've started to implement these practices in my life? Um, so fast forward past the figuring it out, the awkwardness of trying all these different things, um, creating this community, and it just started to build itself. And from 2018 to 2020, we experienced like an 1,834% growth rate. Yeah. Most of that being because clients were sharing with other people what we were doing and and the space that they love that was safe for them. I always tell people you're safe to be powerful here. Mm -hmm. It's okay. No one's going to tell you you're too much. I want you to be all the too much that you are. And so they just kept bringing more people and more people and more people. And we experienced a huge growth spurt. Yeah. Uh, One of my mentors, you might know who he is. I don't know if you ever worked with him, but Michael Burnoff. I did some work with him for a couple of years and, you know, he teaches communication and influence. So he's talking about a lot of these things, like creating safety for your clients. And he said something uh, at an event I attended through a program that I'm in. And it was a very, it was like the first hour we, we were in the room and he was talking to us about developing mutual love, trust, and respect between coach and client, but also between your client base. And you are an example of that. You're doing that. I see that. I witness that. You know, I get to peek inside of your program a little bit. I, I get to see that. Mm-hmm. How do you create mutual love, trust, and respect? A between you and each individual client. And then I think the more challenging part for a lot of leaders is figuring out how do I actually establish that and create that among the client base and then maintain it and sustain it. You know, a lot of people freak out when new folks join their already existing program and they're like, I don't want to open my card up. I only want to open it up like once a year. I don't want open enrollment because, you know, these people are going to bond and they're going to be tight and they're going to know each other. I don't want these new people to come in. And lots of times that is very disruptive in programs, which I think is largely due to how the leader leads. So talk to us a little bit about that. So I will say this, in the beginning, I was verbalizing what I wanted the community to be a lot, was always sharing, this is what we're about. Here's how we support each other. If you don't see someone on the call, we don't just go, oh, so-and-so is missing. They should get like six messages from people saying, I'm here, where are you? (laughs) Right? Yes. We're all here for each other. So really verbalizing, here is our community standards. Here's how we show up for each other. We show up how we want people to show up for us, right? We show up as the power players we expect to be around. Um, And then I had to do that myself, right? So really just verbalizing again and again and again, here are the standards. Here's how we do it. When when people first start my programs, they show up and they're all made up. They have on like lipstick and makeup and clothing and everybody giggles because they know that it's a new person. 
Because that safety that we've created is, I don't care. You don't have to be made up to come to our calls. You can have on a do-rag. You can have rollers in your hair. You can be laying in the bed because you're tired for the day. As long as you're participating and contributing to the conversation, that's all I care about. So you can tell the new people when they step in because they got the backgrounds up with the logos and they're (laughs) fully dressed. And the rest of the team's like, huh, let's see how long that lasts. Because sometimes you're in breakdown moments. Sometimes you're in roll up your sleeves and do stuff. You don't have time to be getting dressed. Sometimes it's a day off. But we we show up for the reasons that we desire to show up. And so as people stayed in the community, they become the leaders of the community. So then the community knows what to do. And as someone else comes in, they're like, here's how we do things. So we still verbalize, but not as much and often as we had to before, because we now have a community culture. What happens in that culture is the people who are now leaders bring the other people along and say, this is how we do it. They'll realize the first time they're not on a call and they get five messages, they're like, oh, shoot. Someone was just saying the other day, they said, Shamika, you're great, but this community, (laughs) they always say, but this community, they're like, I, this community is like no other place where I've ever been. No matter what I'm going through, someone's a listening ear. Someone is reaching out. And that's because I verbalized the type of community in the very beginning until there's something I heard before. If you don't do it by design, it happens by default. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't want a default community. I was very intentional to design it. And now with that design, we have other people who are just trickling down. Um, I talk a lot about not forming cliques in my community. You know, I will introduce that new people are coming in, you know, please welcome them with open arms. And so people come in and it's like, they're not new. They don't feel that sense of, I don't belong. I don't know anybody because they just get brought into the fold right away. Um, And that's how my family is. So Mm -hmm. I think it's a part of who I am. I have pictures with like my entire family. I'll tell you this, this story. My cousin and I were going to SeaWorld and I made a mistake and told my mom, we're going to SeaWorld. When we got to SeaWorld, me and my cousin, we were going with our kids. She has three kids. I have three kids. We were going to SeaWorld. When we get there, there are 40 family members. No, I literally way. have the picture. There are 40 family members because they played telephone game and my mom told one person, told the other person. So 40 people showed up. And this is like normal in my family to have a big gathering. Yeah. So they all show up. But that picture that I have, there are two to three people who are not a part of my family who are in my family picture. Oh my goodness. And they're not a, they're not the girlfriend or the boyfriend or the best friend of the person that they came with. But that's how my family is. If you're there, you're one of us, no matter what. They're not like, oh, the family's going to take a picture, go sit on the side. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like because that's my upbringing, my community is a d- direct reflection of that for me. So do you think you lead in this way very naturally and or... Was there also a component of you having to really develop your leadership in this category? Because, you know, you and I see this a lot with leaders who their program, you know, grows rapidly. They're they're managing or leading a lot more clients at one time. And the thing that will cause someone to not grow is control and controlling the atmosphere too much Mm -hmm. and kind of making them like, I'm the leader. I don't want anybody else to come in because I want to control what I have here. We see so much of that. And I would say it actually happens like in the low millions where people realize I'm the bottleneck and my leadership is the bottleneck. And I really have to grow as a leader. Sometimes we see that with team, but we, I see it a lot when people are leading their client groups. So was it all natural 
Or was there this element of you having to really develop your leadership around this? And if so, like, what did that process look like for you? So I would say there's a portion of it that's natural because of the desire that I have in my upbringing, but also the developing of my leadership around it is like having the courage to vocalize when I see something that wasn't going the way that I want to and I'm afraid of my reaction to saying, hey, here's how we would do that here. Or not seeing the community stepping up and community to operate and not being afraid to have that conversation and say, hey, are we all in this or are we not? You know, how do how do we want to do this? So that's own leadership skills to be able to um, lead people in that way, to communicate with them in that way, um, in a very powerful but also inspirational and loving way conversation because I do work with very powerful people. I work with people who are leaders of leaders. Because of that, I have to honor and respect the level of leadership that they have as well. That took skill. That took honing that skill set. But I think kind of dictate like this is this is what I would like to see. And are you with me or not? So you said something a few minutes ago, uh, like five or six minutes ago, and you were talking about how your clients would kind of joke around with you that they stay for the community. They're not, I forget exactly what you said, but like, it wasn't all about you. It was about the community. And back in the day when I worked full-time as director of client success for a large cell coaching company, I remember, you know, we had three, we had four live events that were part of fulfillment of, it just came with their tuition. And either the, I think it was a third event around September-ish, we were pitching them to rejoin for the following year. And I would be at the back of the room, like sitting in the AV booth. And after the pitch, they would have like 30 or 40 minute break. And I remember watching, this is a group of like 200 people in a room. I remember watching what happened. And like some of them would like circle up at their round table that they were already sitting at and kind of talk with each other about what they were going to do. And then I remember there was this other group of like 12 or 14 of them. And they went out into the lobby and there were some high tables out there and they all kind of circled around. They had their forms in their hand, but it's like everywhere Mm -hmm. you turned and when you would walk around, it was like little pockets of community and they were all talking about what they were going to do next. And I remember kind of listening into those conversations and the thing that they were the most drawn to and most excited about coming back for another year and staying in the ecosystem, it was because of the relationships they had built with each other. It was because of the friendships they had built, the value of the other people in the room. And I've heard so many people say in the past, people will buy an education or coaching program because they want to get the result that you're promising, but they will stay because of the community, because they're actually, they end up getting more value sometimes from the community than they do from the leader or they do from the content that's being taught or any other element of the program. Can you speak to that a little bit? Is that like, do you agree with that statement? People buy for the results, they stay for the community, or do you disagree? Or are we on like sliding scale here? Probably a sliding scale, but I do agree. Um, I think when I look at how people decide to stay in my programs, I can see those pockets happening too. Are you staying? Are you like, what are you going to do? People want to be with people that they like, right? They want to be with people that they know, that they trust. And when we look at some of the um, programs with the highest level of client retention, I won't name names, but there's some programs where people stay in there for years, don't get a single result but they stay for the community, 
right? It's the community that keeps them there. So I honestly agree that community is what will keep people there. Community is also what will make people leave. So if you get a bad apple who's just a negative Nancy or a complainer, they'll also tear your program apart. Yeah. Um, and so those are things you have to have your ear to the ground and paying attention to as well. Um, and that's where your leadership comes in to not allow. It's not really about allowing, but it's like addressing the elephant in the room. We just recently had a program breakdown, if I can just be completely honest. Um, where I could notice everybody was in a sort of slump and I'm talking to the coaches and I'm like, what do we do to pull people out of this energetic slump they're in? Because just as a rising tide lifts all ships, I always say a sinking one's going to drag everybody to the ground too. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to anchor them down. And so there was some energetic wonkiness going on. And there was one person who said, listen, I invested in this program because of the people that are in it, the type of people. And she just went in on everyone. And it's like, are you guys committed? And that was probably like about 45, 60 days ago. The results that my clients are seeing right now as a result of that recommitment to each other is bananas. Wow. Like people who were just like dormantly sleeping have woken up and they're constantly celebrating wins and new clients and they're all engaging and talking to each other. They're sharing and unpacking their own journeys and the container is alive and juicy and powerful. And I know that that interaction and that engagement is also going to help with client retention. A hundred percent. So yeah. I agree that people stay for community. Yeah, some people stay for results, but you can go get results almost anywhere. Mm -hmm. If you find a place that you belong, a mentor that you you vibe with, a community that you vibe with, you're going to stay. Why why switch? No one wants to jump from program to program to program to program. You know, I stayed with my first mentor for almost a decade. And even when I left, I didn't really want to. You know, it was just time. Mm -hmm. And it, it was because of the community, right? Yeah, I you know, community. I think that's what a lot of leaders don't recognize because you do hear, you know, you we see lots of posts on social media where leaders are saying things like, you know, you're an adult, you chose to buy the program, you're fully responsible, blah, blah, blah. We see a lot of like shaming and blaming of people coach hopping and program hopping. That's been a conversation for a really long time. And what you just said about, People don't really desire to coach hop that nobody. And I, I so agree with you. And I think this is so important for leaders to understand about the folks that you're serving inside your program. Nobody, I mean, maybe there's a few people, so I can't mm -hmm. say like nobody, but the larger percentage of people, they're not coming in with this mentality of my desire is to come in here, just work with you. It doesn't work for me. I'm pissed off. I don't get the results I want. I don't belong. And then I have to go start all over again, hunt for somebody else, find somebody and go through that whole process again. Nobody really desires to do that. People really are looking for a home base mm -hmm. and whether they stay there a decade or they stay there three years, they want to ride that out. They want to ride out the amount of time that you're meant to be together with that mentor in that community. And people, I believe, want to stay longer with you. They, they have that mentality coming in and that's their hope and that's their wish. They might not necessarily say that out loud to you. And I think sometimes there's a whole lot of assumptions about our clients as leaders. Like we're looking at everything through the perspective of, a, of what we think the client is thinking, but we've actually got to look at everything through, through the perspective of the actual client, not what we think about the client. And I think that's where we 
go wrong sometimes and make some decisions that aren't actually very helpful, A, for the client and B, for our business. So I agree with you. I think people really do. They are looking for a place to belong. They are looking for community and they they put a lot of weight on that as well. There's a lot of weight placed on that in terms of them making a decision to stay or go. It really is that a feeling that they feel of a sense of belonging with the the leader and also the community. I think that's so important. Sometimes we don't do an incredible job of sharing with clients. Um, like people think I'm going to get my whole end results in the six months, 12 months, 90 days that I'm working with you. And understanding that different people have different layers that they need to pull off and really sharing the client journey. And like, here's in, a, in the perfect world, we want this to be a three-year journey for you. Mm-hmm. But to also understand, so even painting that picture, it's not a one-year journey. It's not a nine-month journey. It's not a six-month journey. It's not a 90-day journey. This is a piece of the puzzle. And where you're actually trying to go and where we'd like to help you grow in your business is going to probably be a three to five-year journey, depending on who you are and what you need right now in order to grow to that next level. And if we can do a good job of holding people as they're watching other people succeed around them and saying, it's okay, your time is coming, I think people would stay more as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you actually talk about that up front in the sales pro- from the from marketing and sales? Are you already planting those seeds that mm-hmm. this is going to be a three-year journey? And you're not yeah. waiting until like, you know, halfway through the program. No, we talk about it in marketing a lot um, when I'm doing like train, especially when I'm doing trainings, um, yeah. like if we do a webinar or a masterclass or something like that, um, like I'm doing a three hour intensive this week, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the reality of what it looks like in entrepreneurship when you're trying to grow, um, especially for me, because I deal with high achievers and you know us, we want to like barely do something and get the result. We expect entrepreneurship to be the same, but it doesn't work that way. There's things that we never had to do before. Like we'll throw something out and start again and it'll work wonderful. In entrepreneurship, you got to stick with the same thing again and again and again. Sometimes it takes things time and there's layers that we're pulling off. And so with that in mind, I'm always seeding for them in the beginning. This is what you're going to come up against. And for some of you, you're going to hit if it's your first six figures, you're going to hit that in in nine months, six months. But for others of you, it's going to take you the entire year or may take you 18 months. And for some of you, it may take you two years. Everybody's in a different space. You just got to be willing to work the process. And I give them the statement that we always say, it's always working. So just trust that what you're doing is getting you where you're going. You're closer than you were before and really being reality of that. So yeah, we're consistently reminding our clients, one, don't look at other people's journey, but it's not, this is not a short game thing. This is a long game thing. Yeah. Well, you know, you have to set expectations. You have to set expectations up front, but then you have to reinforce that. Like you're saying, you're consistently saying these things because if you're not the one setting the expectation and you're not reinforcing that expectation all the way through the whole entire journey, Guess who's setting the expectation? Each individual client is setting the expectation. And every single client, like you might have 500 clients in your program or 30 clients in your program or any number of clients, every single one of them is going to have their own expectation, their own. You don't want to have to facilitate and deal with all those expectations. So you better set it right out of the gate, like you said, even as early as the marketing stage, the sales stage, but then where I think a lot of people fall off because I'll hear leaders say, oh, we said this during the onboarding call. And I'm like, well, Mm -hmm. did you say it 200 times after that? Like, are you still saying it like nine months in? 
And they're like, well, no, we said it at the very beginning. I'm like, yeah. And they forgot the next day. So you've got to absolutely got to create that. And the truth is, Megan, I learned this the hard way, <laughs> right? Well, we all this did. isn't like, oh, we Tamika, all I got, you got it all together. Like, oh, when people start saying, like, I thought I was going to, there were people who thought they were going to start my program and have their first six figure month, start my program in November and have their first six figure month by January. Like that was their literal thoughts. <laughs> Someone who's starting from zero, like no clients oh, yeah. at all. And they laugh at themselves now when they think about it, but they're like, that's what I truly like in my head. That's what I thought I was going to do. And I didn't realize that it was this journey. So when you get those stories back again and again and again, we realized there were some other places where we had to keep reminding them. And I've experienced this in my life. I just forgot that people need repetition and need to hear things again and again and again, because it doesn't sink in. Um, when I was in real estate back in the early 2000s, um, I was a real estate mortgage broker. I had those bu- bus bench ads. You know how you can put an yeah. ad, a, a picture up on like a bus bench cover. I had them all over the city. One of them was right in front of a major exit off a freeway where people needed to turn to go to my church when they went to church. I went to a church that had over 25,000 members and I was the worship leader. So I was one of the praise and worship leaders on the stage. So my face would be seen there. The bus bench ads were there strategically placed. Oh, yeah. No one ever really mentioned it. They were there for, I think, three years. Year four and five is when most people would say, you have a bus bench ad. But guess what, Megan? They weren't there anymore. It took all of that time. People seeing it again and again and again. One that get most of the, I saw you on the bus bench. And I would giggle because I'm like, they're not there anymore. But fourth year, fifth year is when it started happening and they were gone. Wow. I mean, that just shows you, it shows you psychology, right? And part of knowing Mm -hmm. how to run your programs really effectively, just like so much of marketing and sales is understanding psychology. It's the same inside of your program. You have to understand where people are Mm -hmm. at and the different phases that they're going through mentally through the marketing stage, the sales stage, the, as soon as I swipe my credit card stage, the onboarding stage, the indoctrinating them into your way of doing business getting results staged. I mean, there's, there's, you know, there's eight phases that I really look at, but you've got to understand that even though they have purchased from you in your programs, that's, it's all psychology. It really is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So true. I always tell people in order to create results in anything that you want, whether it's a sales call, your programs, your marketing, we want to work with human nature instead of against it. Yep. And in order for us to we have to even know what that nature is. We have to be a study of human behavior, like our student of human behavior, and then work with people the way they work. We can't change society. We can't change people per se. So if we know that people need to hear something over and over again, regardless of whether we're tired of hearing ourselves saying it, just say it again and again. Just put it in different places. Yeah. Yeah. And adults need that too. I think we forget that just because all of our clients are adults, they still need, we need the same thing as we did when we were children. Like some of these basic things like repetition, adults need it. They, adults need it too, in order to be successful. So, okay. Something else that I would love to ask you because you have ex- also experienced in the last, I'd say what, like two or three years, like extraordinary growth, very rapid growth in your business, in your coaching business. So you're 
your enrollment levels have increased. You are the queen of sales. It's what you teach inside your program. A lot of other people rapidly grew over the last few years. You know, COVID hit. A lot of folks went from, I mean, just added millions of dollars to their bottom line in a, in a very short period of time because of what was going on in our world. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of dopamine that comes with sales and marketing and having people buy your program and all the front end stuff that we do. But when we grow so rapidly, there's a lot inside of our programs with clients, with delivery, with fulfillment that also changes and evolves. And we have to be very nimble and we have to adapt. Not to mention, I'd say pretty significantly in the last like three to five years, I think psychology has changed. I think society has changed. I think the people we're serving have really changed and evolved in a very, very short period of time. So you being someone who has experienced and continues to experience very rapid growth on the front end with client acquisition, with lead acquisition, you're teaching people sales. How do you as a leader balance focusing on, it's always going to be important to do marketing and sales, and it's equally as important to take care of your people, your clients, and to put an emphasis on delivery, fulfillment, client success, referrals, reactivating people. Because a lot of folks are just thinking like, I just need to scale. I just need to turn on a funnel. I just need to turn on a marketing machine. But yet those people could just like funnel right out the back end of your business as well. So someone who, you know, is playing in both of those worlds and you're also doing that well, how do, how are you doing that? How are you deciding to put a focus on the front end and the back end? And what kind of conversations are you even having with yourself? Because it's also very alluring to like, let's just get a whole bunch of people in. Let's just make a whole bunch of money. I, you know, I'm not going to pay attention to the back end over here. So what kind of conversations do you even have with yourself in that category? I think the, the ultimate realization is the more people I keep as I bring more people in, that's where the, the rapid momentum and success of growing a business happens. Right. So I, I know I'm going to keep 600,000 a year, that's how I'm going to grow as opposed to a million dollar revenue stream. And every year I have to sell $800,000 worth of people every year. I'm, I'm always searching. So now I know I have this baseline revenue that I'm going to keep because of what we do with our clients. It's not so much of the pressure to feed the machine in the beginning, in the, on the front end, right? The, the sales part of it just becomes like gravy. It's like, the next round and 80% of the next round. And that's where the business, the revenue growth comes from. It comes from the retention, right? I know there's a, I, there's a statistic about retention, but there's also the saying that um, it's easier to resell a client that you already have or upsell a client that you already have money that's already been sent, spent with you than it is. And it's cheaper to do that than to go out and find new business. And most people don't look at their businesses like that. They are solely focused on what's new. Now, how do I do it? I'm not doing it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a team effort. It has to be. There's no way for me to be in both places. So, you know, I mean, I can I can share this. I hired you last year to come in and just tear my systems apart and just look at everything and see 
you know, with all of this growth, where can we automate some of this stuff? And where where do we have holes where we can be getting more feedback from clients and making them feel more seen and all of those things? Because I noticed to feel a little shaking in the foundation as we expanded so rapidly, right? You know, taking a program from having 30 to 35 people in it to having 60, that was a huge, you know, expansion. And so I could feel the foundation shaking a little bit. And I'm like, okay, what do we need to do? So I brought you in to look at all of that stuff. Um, talking to my team about areas where we want to focus on supporting clients, you know, not just for the purpose of retaining them, but making sure we are still client centric and being client client centric does not mean you have to be small. And the reason why I'm saying that is because I had a really anchored belief before I allowed myself to increase my capacity to lead more people that in order for people to get the most out of me and out of my programs, I had to have small containers Mm. and I could never grow with that belief system. So I had to go hang out with some people who were who had large containers of programs, 100, 300 people in the programs, go to events that had 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 people in them that were still transformational for the people in the room so that I can anchor that in for myself that we wouldn't dilute our power or our effectiveness by allowing growth, but we also need to keep our eye and our pulse on what are the changes we need to make? Because the same way that we would be client-centric or client-focused when we had 15 clients in the mastermind, we couldn't do it the same way when there was 30, and we couldn't do it the same way when there was 60. So we needed to figure out how do we give this same feeling to the clients, the same experience to the client, but in a way that we could actually manage it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, And it's important to have those conversations often with your team, right? Like if you're going to be growing rapidly over the course of even a calendar year, those are conversations you want to be having periodically. I mean, to a degree on a small scale, like little things every single week should be coming up about what's going on with your clients and your whole team should be in on that conversation. And then, you know, at least I'm such a big believer in every quarter, there should be something, it doesn't have to be huge but something that you are improving or changing or adding more value to inside of your program. And that it doesn't have to be something that's huge that takes a lot of resources or that takes time. But when you do have a team, and I'm glad you brought that up, you as a leader, you're not the one that always has to come up with those answers. You're not the one that has to think of all the things. Get your team in on that. Have conversations with the team. I mean, I think that marketing sales and program delivery, whoever you have, in those categories on your team, they should all be talking about client-centric things that are going on in the culture of your company because Mm marketing is going to have ideas for program fulfillment, program fulfillment is going to have ideas for sales and so on and so forth. And they should all be communicating. And that's really the beauty of the team as well. Yeah, they're, they're doing the do and they're spending time working on growing your business with and for you. And they also have really, really great ideas. So Anybody listening to this, to whatever degree you have team, even if it's only one or two other people, make sure you're having those conversations about your programs and about your clients, um, because every every department could be utilizing that conversation. Yeah. What's cool is like, even with my coaches, we go through client by client. What's going on with your client? Where's their head at? What can we do to support them? Is this something that all clients need? Right. And it helps us to bring conversations into our mastermind calls. If we notice that there's a theme going on with people and a conversation we need to have, Um, it helps us to determine trainings that we want to bring to the table. 
It helps us to look at holes that we might have in our system. Oh, we could be doing X, Y, Z. So having those conversations, sometimes we get afraid to have those conversations because we don't really want to hear where we're missing the ball, right? Right. Where we're dropping the ball or missing the boat. So I know what's going on with every single client in every department, whether it's accounting, whether it's support or client delivery, right? With the coaches, everyone's sharing experiences with the clients. And if we find a hole or a gap or an idea that we feel like can support that client or our systems as a whole, that's where this is coming from. My, my fingers on the pulse of every single person in my program, even if I'm not personally working with them one-on-one. Yeah. Okay. Do you think it's, let's say that you double the size of your business and enrollment doubles. Will you still be able to know what's going with each client? Because yes. a lot of people are very afraid. And I'm asking this because a lot of people are very afraid that, you know, as I, or they're not afraid. Well, they are afraid. They're afraid that they, that they're going to almost have to like slow down to speed up. Or if, if what you just said, like, I'm going to have to know what all like 2000 of my clients are up to, or 500 of my clients are up to, I want to scale. I want to make more money. Like I can't do that. I can't know what's going on with all my clients, mm-hmm. but you said you would. So what might that look like as, because obviously it may change the way yes. that it looks now, but let's say your enrollment doubled. How, mm-hmm. how does a leader still know what's going on with all their clients? I think this is where systems come in play, right? So we have we have notes that our, our coaches take. We have notes that when people have calls and conversations with people, we can look at all of those things. So even if I'm like not in the know in the moment, if something comes up at the click of a button, I can look and see a client's profile and look at a conversation and know what's going on. So that's the part that's important. And I think what's important, Megan, is like planning for growth before you. Yes wait until you have a hundred clients to build a system for a hundred clients, build the system you have now as if you have a hundred clients. Now it may function differently. So when you say double, I'm like, we're ready for double because what we've built can hold double what we have. Now, if you were to tell me, if you add 200 clients next month or this year, I'd be like, oh shoot, maybe I need to start (laughs) revamping what we're doing right now. Right. But we are planning for future growth. So we know that the system that we currently have will work to hold us at the capacity that we think we're going to bring in in the next year or two. That's important. Figure it out before the growth comes. I love Mm -hmm. that. Okay. Here's my last question. I love Jesse Itzler. I follow him. It's Sarah Blakely's husband. So I follow him more than I follow Sarah Blakely because I just find him so fascinating because he's like all into adventure and like ultra marathons and like doing crazy stuff. And he said something the other day, he runs like his own, like little memberships and programs. And he goes, this was an Instagram story. And he was like, everybody out there is teaching people what to do, but nobody in business is telling anybody what not to do. So Mm -hmm. when it comes to this whole conversation around culture of your inside of your programs, being a very client centric culture, being a client centric company, um, really diving head first into client success and elevating your delivery and your program fulfillment, just having a really awesome product. What are a couple of things, maybe two or three that business owners should not be doing? Difficult for me for a couple of reasons. One, I believe that there's all kinds of ways that work 
And so the thing I would say is you got to figure out what works for you. So don't try to follow somebody, one person's methodology or way of thinking. Like you and I are having this conversation. Some of this may apply. Some of it may not. It's what we are doing and have done, but there may be something else that works for you. So I am not a fan of just robbing and duplicating. People always say that's R&D, right? Of just robbing and duplicating. I am a fan of seeing what other people are doing and then figuring out what works for me. How do I need it? What what needs to happen inside of my community? So there's no cookie cutter approach. So don't just take everything we're saying at face value and go change all your stuff for all the points that we gave you right now. Do your own research inside of your own company. Put your ear to the ground because the way I solved my problem may not be the way you need to solve your problem. You may get some wisdom from it. You may get some ideas from it, or it may be the entire thing that we just talked about works for you. But I wouldn't just take it at face value because you see somebody who's successful and that they've done something that works and go, okay, we need to start doing that. Mm-hmm. Maybe not. Mm-hmm. That's yep. the biggest yep. thing that I would say. Yeah. And maybe not right now. You know, uh-huh. everybody's at a slightly different place and everybody's programs and their, you know, how they have everything structured. It's all slightly a little bit different. So what you may need to do right now is different than what somebody else may need to do. Some people may be doing certain things better than you. But then other things they're not doing, they don't even have in place. So yeah, the, I, again, this is why I think it's so important to constantly be evaluating your programs mm-hmm. and constantly be having conversations with your clients, constantly having conversations with your team, and always be talking about how you can elevate, how you can improve, how you can serve your clients even better. But go ask them. And, and the other thing I want to say is you don't have to do all this at once. You know, pick like one place, pick one area, what's going to help your clients get even better results or what's going to help strengthen the community. And maybe you pick a focus once a quarter, maybe one quarter, it's community, maybe another, it's results, maybe it's another, it's retention, but you don't have to do everything at once. Sometimes I don't think it's a good idea to try to do everything at once because you wouldn't, wouldn't be able to roll all of that out as smoothly as possible. No, it's a... That's a crazy thing to try to do. I always tell people yeah. do one project per quarter. Oh yeah. Pick one thing. Pick one thing per quarter so that you can still run your business and still do all the things that you need to do. Yeah. Otherwise you're going to feel overwhelmed. And yeah. Stress. Yeah. Awesome. Shamika. Thank you so much. This was such a valuable conversation just to get like a peek into how you operate as a leader, how you lead community, how you lead your business, your team, your clients. Um, And just the way that you teach your clients how to be, not just how to be successful and get results in your program, but how you teach them and how you show them by example, how to be with each other. Because I, I, you know, I really think that is, it's really what sticks the group together. Um, And you just do that Mm. so beautifully. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, it's actually, it's been a really powerful conversation for me because I'm, you know, not only sharing what works, but I'm also getting a chance to look at like, okay, what are we doing? And what hasn't, what, where have we failed in the past? And what are we currently continuing to tweak? And I think that's just an important uh, vulnerable space to allow yourself to be as a CEO and a leader, because there's always going to be an ever evolving door. And so I appreciate you for allowing me to even have this conversation in the first place. Yeah. Um, and being able to process some of the stuff for myself and to be able to share some of the wisdom that I've gleaned over this decade of doing this um, and figuring out what works and what works well. And I'm proud of my community. I definitely want to say that. I'm so proud of what I created. There are times where I just sit back 
And I am like, oh my gosh, I remember when this was a dream that you wanted people to show up in this way. And now it's just what we do. It's it's who we be. It's how we are. People ask me all the time, how do you get your clients to like post their wins and celebrate? In the beginning, I would say, go celebrate your wins. People would message me and I go post that in the group. It was like consistent. Yes. And now they just do it. I don't care if it's a $27 sale. They will celebrate like it's a $27 million sale. And it makes my heart sing. Yes. As they should be. As they should be. So tell us where we can find you. Where should people go to be in your world, to learn more about you, to learn from you? Uh, Give us a scoop on that. So I am across all channels as myself, Shamika Tankerson. Um, I hang out the most in Facebook land. It's where I spend the most time. It's where I put the most um, content out. But you can find me on Instagram. You can find me on LinkedIn as Shamika Tankerson, as well as on Facebook as Shamika Tankerson. Um, you can even download my podcast, which is the Raise, Raise Your Game podcast. Um, you can find that on Spotify and iTunes, where I talk about a lot of the ins and outs of what it really takes to grow a multi-million dollar business. Amazing. All that's in the show notes. So go check out Shamika. Thank you so much, my friend. Thanks, Megan. Thank you so much for tuning into the Built to Last show. If you're loving the show and have gotten any value out of it for your business and life, would you mind doing two things? Subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode and leave us a review. Our listener reviews helps us get more visibility and reach more people just like you. Help us make a difference for more entrepreneurs by helping them grow their businesses in a way that aligns with their life, family, and core values. Thank you so much for being part of our community and tuning into the show each week.